today on Act News Daily. In terms of how the engine operates, it is exactly the way a diesel engine operates. And Clearflame's emissions benefits, um, it's not because of some sort of technical novelty we've accomplished uh, with emissions cleanup. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Agnes Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I have a ask to make of our podcast listeners, if that's okay with you. Of course, go right ahead. Okay, so today I had a consultation for LASIK eye surgery. And uh, that was quite the experience in itself. They dilate your eyes, I think more extreme than what you would usually get at a normal eye checkup appointment. So, you know, I can't drive. I couldn't see for a few hours. I mean, I could, but the light was really bothering it, et cetera. But I'm just curious if any of our listeners have ever had LASIK. And if they have, I would love to know your experience. I know it's a really small percentage or a chance that you would go blind or have an infection or any of those things. But like, it's a little freaky to me that they basically, you know, tape or open, open your eyes for that 15 minutes during the surgery using a laser you don't go under you know you get some eye numbing drops and stuff but I'm a little I think I'm gonna freak myself out a little bit more than I probably should with this surgery coming up but I scheduled it I'm intending to go full steam ahead with it but I would really love if anybody has had any experience with that to share some insight with me just so I can put my mind at ease you know Delaney I have been thinking about getting LASIK myself I have such bad vision. And it's because when I was younger, I wanted glasses so badly that in the second grade, I purposely failed my eye exam. And now I have just ruined my eyes. So I also am wanting to get LASIK. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Yeah, so we'll see if I if and when I get it, I will share my experience with you, Ashton. But in the meantime, I would much appreciate anyone that has had it and could share their experience with me. Well, we will see how that goes, and hopefully everything goes well with your surgery, Delaney, but I want to go ahead and start talking about some news today, and it looks like the FDA and its counterparts in Mexico are taking steps to strengthen collaboration on food safety from outbreak investigations to training and outbreak prevention measures. The FDA had a ceremony to commemorate the signing of a statement of intent to enhance the food safety partnership between the U.S. and Mexico. The statement strengthens the scope of an existing produce safety partnership the country signed in 2014. With the food safety partnership, the produce agreement extends to all foods regulated by the FDA. And the Food Safety Partnership's goal is to strengthen collaboration on outbreak response, laboratory collaboration, prevention, and outreach and training. So I'm not sure if there was a specific incident that triggered this statement of intent to enhance the partnership that was already instated, but I will do a little bit of digging and and see if I can't report on that tomorrow. That sounds good, Ashton. And speaking of doing a little digging and reporting, I've done a little digging this morning myself when it comes to African swine fever. It appears that the pork industry is ramping up efforts to try and keep African swine fever at bay. This is this effort is being led by the National Pork Board, largely trying to target the global industry and watch all of the different places that are having African swine fever outbreaks and issues. And so we've seen now the pork industry is getting ready to release a volunteer, what they're calling, quote, contract 
training or excuse me, contract tracing program for hogs that would allow, especially folks here in the United States, to be able to hopefully stab off an export and supply crisis and have the disease show up here in the United States. So they said beginning in early November, they're going to roll out a new software program called AgView, which is being created through checkoff dollars that will allow pork producers, USDA and state vet as well as other folks involved in the swine industry to track hog movements from farms to processing plants and essentially operate like contract tracing for pigs. So they didn't go into a whole lot of detail other than that. It might be good, Ashton, to have them on to chat about this for an upcoming episode on the podcast. But basically, to sign up and find out more information, you go you can go to agview.com and they've got quite a bit more information there. It looks like as far as how to sign up, uh, you know, what, what this really means, how to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's almost kind of like they're using blockchain or, you know, a tracing system to be able to just better manage where hogs have been and where they're going. So we'll continue to watch that. Like I said, it might be a good one to have on for a future episode on the podcast. And that program again begins in early November. You know, Delaney, I have just a little bit to add to that. It kind of incorporates, I I suppose, but the CEO of the National Pork Board says feral hogs in the U.S. are a threat to commercial hog operations, which, you know, I being down here in Texas, we have tons of feral hogs. I don't know about you guys up there in Iowa or, or other states, but I know in the South, they're pretty prevalent. But it, it sounds like they are trying to crack down on wild boars and them being a threat to commercial hog operations just because of what's been going on, of course, with African swine fever in China. And then now in Germany with nearly 50 wild boars being confirmed um, African swine fever cases, but just a little bit of information to kind of add to that about contact tracing. Yeah. I can't say I've ever seen a wild boar other than like movies or pictures. So To my knowledge, there's not a ton of those running around, if any, here in Iowa. But I know like Arkansas, Texas, some of those more southern states, I think, have a lot more issue with that than we do up here. We certainly do. And my dad and I, we go deer hunting. We actually have a lease down here. And I tell you what, every time we are in the blind or on the lease, we see tons of them and they are just rough around the edges, not not good to to farmland or to, of course, livestock operations. But, but other than that, I have some news about grants being available for COVID-19 relief. And these two new grants are available for Illinois livestock producers impacted by the pandemic. Livestock producers can apply for the Agriculture Business Interruption Program or Swine Depopulation Program by October 31st to receive up to $10,000. The grants are part of the state's Business Interruption Grants Program, which leverages federal CARES Act funds to help small businesses offset losses in connection to the COVID-19 pandemic. For the Agriculture Business Interruption Program, applicants must be a livestock producer that experienced monetary losses and incurred expenses from the disruption of the livestock market caused by the pandemic between April 15th and May 15th of 2020. 
expenses associated with holding livestock and livestock related products for an extended period of time are eligible. And pork producers that experienced financial loss as a result of COVID-19 related to depopulation or disposal on or after April 15th can apply for the swine depopulation program. And producers who have applied for or received CFAP 1 or CFAP 2 funding are still eligible to apply for both grants. So I would definitely keep an eye out on that. And you can apply on the Illinois Department of Agriculture website. All right. Well, another, uh, I guess this isn't, your, your news wasn't trade related, but I've got a piece of trade related news here. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is traveling to Japan for a three-day visit. Now, this is an important trip for a couple of reasons. One, we just saw, not just saw, but recently saw the prime minister over in Japan replaced. Uh, Shinzo Abe used to be the by, or used to be the prime minister, excuse me, in Japan and was now replaced with I don't know how to pronounce this name, to be quite honest with you. I think it's Yoshi Yoshi. Mm, nope, not going to try it. Anyways, they got a new prime minister in Japan who isn't quite as keen on the United States as Shinzo Abe was. So it's important for that reason. And it's also important because Mike Pompeo is hoping he can uh, groom or, you know, rub elbows, we'll say, with this new prime minister in Japan, hoping to extend that phase one deal that went into a into effect on January 1st into a phase two trade deal that could include benefits for U.S. rice, access to increased dairy exports, and other agricultural products. So we're really going to have to watch that one closely here and see if indeed the relationship between this new prime minister and the United States is one that will continue uh, to benefit the United States. But it's rumored that this new prime minister isn't quite as pro-U.S. as uh, Shinzo Abe was. So, Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news for the day. It was a little bit of a slower news day on my end. What about you? I have uh, just, you know, kind of two quick pieces of news which lead us nicely into the markets, the first of which was the USDA's weekly crop progress report. We saw soybeans have a massive increase in harvested acres. As of Sunday, October 4th, NAS has estimated that 38% of soybeans across the United States were harvested. That's an 18 percentage point jump from the previous Sunday. And well ahead of our five-year time or five-year pace at this time, which is generally about 28% of the crop harvested. On the corn side of things, still ahead of pace, but not quite as much as we are on the soybean thing side of things. With our nation's corn crop about 25% harvested as of Sunday, just slightly above the five-year average of 24%. Now, the other piece of trade-related, or excuse me, market-related news I had for today, because we did see, especially soybeans, skyrocket today, and there's a couple of uh, bullish factors that have played into that, one of which being that folks in Brazil and Argentina are having some weather issues, dry weather to be more specific. And we're seeing Brazilian soybean seeding pace slow down pretty drastically here as they are dealing with dry weather concerns, planting concerns, etc. And so now we're seeing analysts forecast that 
we will have some strong exports ahead of that February window in 2021 when Brazil is expected and Argentina are expected to step back in and potentially uh, sell more products on the world market. You know, again, with planting not going so smoothly for them, that's a factor that's yet to be seen. Um, but on the other side of that, we also have this week's WASDI report coming out at the end of the week and are expecting to see USDA adjust export demand numbers on that report to some more favorable numbers for U.S. crop producers. So we've got a few bullish fundamentals out there right now. Whether or not they can hold steady through the end of the week into that report is yet to be seen. But that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment, Ashton. Well, Delaney, are you ready to hop into the markets for today? I am. And as I mentioned, bullish uh, fundamentals all the way across the board today, starting off with the December corn contract up five and a half cents to close at 385 even, while the March up five to close at 394 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, adding big moves today up 22 and a half cents to close at 1044. The January up 20 and a half to close at 1045 and a half. In the wheat pits, the December contract adding eight and a half cents to close at five ninety two and three quarters. The March adding eight to close at five ninety eight and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits, mixed trade today in the cattle complex as the October added thirty seven and a half cents to close at one hundred nine twenty. The December adding twenty to close at one eleven ninety five. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract shedding a dollar ninety-two and a half to close at one thirty-eight twelve. The November down two forty to close at one thirty-seven fifty-two and a half. In the lean hog markets, the October contract adding a dollar fifty-seven to close at seventy-six thirty-two. The December up a dollar twenty-two and a half to close at sixty-three eighty-seven and a half. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures. The October contract shedding 16 cents today to close at 20.47. The November down 15 cents as well to close at 19.56. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday episode. Today on the podcast, we have BJ Johnson, who is the CEO for Clear Flame Engine Technologies. BJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Glad to be here. So to kick things off, why don't you tell our listeners and myself a little bit more about your background and how you came to be CEO of Clear Flame? Yeah, so uh, Clearflame initially originated out of our PhD research at Stanford University in California. Um, my co-founder, Julie, and I were just trying to find, you know, a, a cost-effective way of mitigating emissions from the diesel engine world, while still acknowledging that the diesel engine design itself has a ton of value in being able to get, you know, heavy-duty jobs done, like trucking and farming. And so what we were able to invent at Stanford and, and spin out into Clear Flame about four years ago was a, may, a way to modify the diesel engine design so that it still operates like a diesel engine, delivers all of the performance that you expect from that engine, but actually doesn't need any diesel fuel at all. And you can actually replace that diesel fuel with a much lower cost and cleaner burning alternative, something like ethanol. And that's what's allowing us to decouple the performance benefits of the diesel engine design 
from the, the challenging emissions and fuel costs that are associated with petroleum diesel fuel. So we formed the company back in, in 2016, moved to the Chicago area in 2017 to partner with Argonne National Lab and continue our technology development. And now we've recently begun doing our first uh, production engine demonstrations, uh, initially on a Cummins X-15. So other than, you know, reducing emissions, how do clear flame engines differ from, you know, diesel engines or spark ignited engines? Yeah, so that's a, a key question because that's the, the two general areas of, of engines, types of engine designs, compression ignition, diesel style, and spark ignition. Um, we are very much a diesel engine, a compression ignition engine in every sense of the phrase with the exception of the fuel. So in terms of how the engine operates, it is exactly the way a diesel engine operates. And Clear Flame's emissions benefits, um, it, it's not because of some sort of technical novelty we've accomplished uh, with emissions cleanup. It's just simply the clean burning nature of ethanol fuel itself. And so our innovation was to be able to take a fuel like ethanol that historically has always been thought of as a gasoline substitute, a spark ignition engine substitute, and essentially implement our secret sauce, which is a, a way to get the combustion to happen at higher temperatures so that you can overcome the fact that ethanol is traditionally a poor diesel substitute make the engine hot enough, the ethanol will burn, and it'll burn just as cleanly as it does in a cleaner but lower performance spark ignition engine. And so really, you, you asked the question perfectly because it's, it's, there's these two engine families out there. Uh, the innovation Clearflame had was, was taking the fuel that is traditionally associated with the cleaner but lower performance engine and getting it into that higher performance diesel architecture. So you you mentioned something earlier in, in the conversation about about farming and are you guys seeing a lot of farming operations, whether it's with their trucking or, you know, with farming equipment? Are you seeing a lot of your customers or clientele within the agriculture industry? Yeah. So um, first off, to be clear, you know, we're a technology provider. We don't make engines ourselves. So we work with you know, the Cummins, Deers, Caterpillars, Volvos of the world to integrate our technology into their existing engine designs. So the, the farmers you're referring to are the end user that would um, say, you know, go to John Deere and say, hey, rather than, you know, getting a new diesel tractor, let me get the clear flame enabled ethanol tractor, but it'll still be a John Deere product, you know, and this is, of course, speculating into the future, there's still technical work to be done. Um, but in terms of the end user markets, if that's where the question was going, uh, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of interest from the agriculture sector. Um, you know, this is a technology that can really be used anywhere a diesel engine can be used. We're focused on those applications that don't have a good substitute for diesel fuel right now. So while it's relatively easy to get an electric passenger car, for example, it's a lot harder to get an electric Class A truck or an electric, you know, 400 horsepower tractor for your farm. And so we're, we're targeting those markets and of course, farmers naturally have an affinity to using a homegrown, clean burning fuel like ethanol that they help to produce. They also have a, a strong affinity for simplifying their equipment and getting rid of the complex diesel after treatment systems with the you know, urea, uh, add blue, def, whatever you want to call it, having to be added to the engine. 
we really not only maintain all the performance and use a cheaper fuel, we really simplify that after treatment compliance and, and make it easier for those farmers or truckers or whoever to maintain their equipment. Gotcha. That definitely clears clears some stuff up for me. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about end years end users. So for instance, if I were to want to go buy a, a machinery from, from Caterpillar and I wanted to to get a clear flame engine, would the tractor already come with that engine? Or are you also making engines to be put into tractors that you know folks might already have on the farm? Yeah. So uh if I understand the question, it's, it's you know, is, is the go-to-market channel as new engines or can it also be an aftermarket retrofit? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the, the answer is both. Um, initially, we are focused on new equipment. So rather than, you know, having a, a retrofit kit sent to your farm or to your truck maintenance depot, um, you would just, again, go to, to Peterbilt, go to John Deere, go to Caterpillar and order it new. Um, the advantage of doing it that way is that, you know, any novel technology like ClearFlame, there's initially some lower volume production of parts. You know, for example, we'll have to make ethanol compliant injectors in place of of diesel injectors. So that's going to add some degree of cost to the engine. But if you're buying it as a new product, we save so much money on the required after treatment that the combined engine plus after treatment system that you need for emissions compliance, so it's always getting bought together, that total system cost can actually be reduced for ClearFlame if you're buying it new. Now, all of the work we have to do to develop that engine technology can absolutely be applied to a retrofit product. And I think that is a big part of ClearFlame's future because we do integrate so easily into existing engine designs. Uh, and, and of course, in that case, the the farmer or the trucker will have already bought the engine with the diesel after treatment. So in that case, the retrofit will be a cost addition, but you can save a lot of money in the maintenance of not having to maintain the after treatment anymore to be able to use a lower cost fuel like ethanol. That is a way to pay this back, even as a retrofit technology through the operating cost savings, even if there's going to be some capital expense up front. So both both channels absolutely work, and uh, we, we really get to pursue them both with the partners we're already working with. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff going on over at Clear Flame, and hopefully our listeners will look into to Clear Flame. But I just have one more question before I let you go, BJ, and that is where can our listeners find you guys online, whether that's you know your website or if you guys are on social media, to see if they can get in contact with you guys about Clear Flame Engine Technologies. Yeah, so uh, our website is www.clearflameengines.com. So C-L-E-A-R-F-L-A-M-E-E-N-G-I-N-E-S.com. And you can also uh, follow us on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, Certainly looking to get our social media presence up and growing so we can share our message with the world. I think, you know, Clearflame's, one of our, our biggest goals going forward is to show the benefits that low carbon fuels like ethanol and other bio and alternative fuels have in achieving our carbon mitigation goals. Um, You know, electrification gets a lot of credit, fuel cells get a lot of credit as they absolutely should. But if if we're going to 
um, achieve what we need to achieve in terms of sustainability, there really needs to be a, a third leg of that stool that can leverage liquid fuels. And that's exactly the technology that ClearFlame wants to bring to the marketplace. And we'd be grateful for anyone helping us share that message. Absolutely. And it sounds like another great avenue for the ethanol industry to get some support behind behind them. So, BJ, thank you again for coming on and sharing the Clear Flame story. Thanks, Ashton. Thanks again to BJ Johnson for coming on and talking to us about Clear Flame engine technologies. It's definitely not something that I think about a whole lot just because I'm, you know, not on the tractor or anything like that, but it's definitely something that our farmers and producers should definitely keep an eye out for. Absolutely. There's all sorts of fantastic and innovative and exciting technology coming to the agricultural industry. And we're covering all that right here on the podcast. Absolutely. And you can check that out on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.